Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Unheard. I'm Florence Reed. It seems a little strange on one of the coldest days we've had in years here in London to be talking about the sunny Hollywood Hills, but today's guest is a veteran of the movie industry and a writer beloved of our very own magazine, so it's worth the weather jealousy. Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright, screenwriter, and director David Mamet is a controversial figure in Hollywood and beyond. He's best known for his iconic plays American Buffalo, Glengarry, Glen Ross, and Speed the Plow. Mamet's taste for the culture war has landed him him in very hot water with commercially minded colleagues and his new memoir Everywhere and Oink Oink is out now. He joins me live from Santa Monica to talk about it. David Mamet, welcome to Unheard. Thank you. Glad to be here. I want to start at the start and ask you to begin. When did you realize that you were going to be destined to be, however you want to put it, in the storytelling business? Well, I was always in the storytelling business. I'm, I'm a Jew, which is kind of no coincidence because my people have been Jewish for 6,000 years. So, And that's what we do. We tell stories and we tell jokes. German humor is all about the bathroom. And the French humor is all about the bedroom. Jewish humor is all about the mind. It's all about how, how crazy our mind is. So we Jews grow up telling jokes, which are really no different than Zen koans right? The, the things to get the mind working. And it's, it, there's really no difference in saying a porcupine and a nun walked into a bar. And we want to say, yeah. Or when Jesus says, the guy says, Jesus, how much should I, should I give to the poor? Jesus says, give him everything. So it's the same thing. It gets the mind working. Because your reaction to a porcupine and a nun is, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm listening. And your reaction to give them anything is, wait a second, wait a second. Like, do, does he really mean that? Am I really going to give them anything? And you start thinking, and if you reason your way into it, what, what Jesus is saying is a Zen koan, just like what's the sound of one hands clapping. He's saying, you know the answer. You may not accept it, but you know it in your heart. Look for it. So I always grew up loving jokes. And we all told jokes in the family. And uh, I would hear a joke and say, my God, this joke is great. I just heard in 20 years, it'll be new and I can tell it again. It's like eight years old. And my mother always used to say, David, why must you always dramatize everything? I guess it was just my nature. So you're a natural born dramatist. How have you seen the industry change then? If you entered it over 40 years ago, what is the difference now 
between the way we're telling stories or the way that stories are being sold to us versus how they were when you first wrote a play or got your first movie produced? Well, it's completely changed, but it probably changed a couple of times in the many years I've been doing this because um, storytelling changes as technology changes. And the original storyteller was Ugg comes back from killing the muskox, right? And he brings the muskox up to the fire and he throws it down. He says, you should have seen the one that got away. The only new version of storytelling in the history of the world was the movies. Everything else was theater or it was pageant or it was dance and it was um, performed in front of an audience. So the movies are completely different and they really don't come out of the tradition of theater so much as they come out of the tradition of the picture gallery. You go to the picture gallery and you see a picture here and you see a picture there and you see a picture there. And there are people who are great experts at positioning pictures, right? So that they, it's not just the individual picture, but the gallery would tell the story. So now the movies come along and say, yeah, we're going to do that. But guess what? We're going to change the image 24 times every second. So all of a sudden, that's the way we re relate to stories. The problem, the, the difficulty is, I was starting out, I could do a, a theater in my basement or in a garage for nothing, and the audience would come. But for the movies, you have to get a little bit of money to make them, and then you have to distribute them. So the question is, how do you distribute them? And as always, as Mr. Gresham said, it's the bad money that drives out the good money. There were the, all of these regional theaters in the country that were doing garbage, right? Because there weren't any playwrights and they would do like, everyone would do the House of Bernardo Alba every year. They would do Eugene O'Neill. Nobody ever enjoyed a Eugene O'Neill play. But these were the things that were being put on because they were, the regional theaters were, they weren't appealing to an audience. They were appealing to rich people to support boring trash right so that's you know that's that that's what supported them so unless you appeal to an audience you're completely out of the touch because the audience is going to tell you if they had a good time or not when you lose their con their their concentration when you're watching them you say oh my god this play is not working right but the rich person who gives the money to support it he's done his job he didn't give he didn't care if the play is working or not they come back next year and say, geez, last year you gave us 50 grand. We're a little short. Can we have 60 grand? He says, yeah, sure, because he wants to play theater. Nope, okay. So what started to happen, these regional theaters in the, I guess, in the 70s, 60s or 70s, there were a few of them scattered around, none of them were any good. They start this. In addition to having a director, they're going to have a managing director. And the director is now called the artistic director. Right. There's two sides so to it now. There's commercial want... and creative, and those are separate. What was he before? What was she before if it wasn't artistic? Now, there's two things which are equal. There's an artistic director and a managing director. And they sit down together and they say, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, yes, yes, yes. Now, this is what we're seeing now. This is The theater is not only dead, it stinks. Because it's gotten to the point now where we have as political commissars. It's not just managing directors who say, well, you know, we should do something. We should have a, a youth uh, thing and we should have a new playwrights thing and blah, blah, blah. The audience don't care, right? You can, you, you can only suborn them into their seats because they're, they're going to the theater. It's culture, right? Nobody, nobody likes culture. It's nonsense. So now 
we have political commissars who say, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And in addition to the artistic director, in addition to the managing director, we have a director of diversity, right, who's a commissar, is on top of everything. And we're all going to pay attention to this person who tells us, well, you know, you don't have enough black women in the play, or, well, you know, you don't have enough trans people. In the play. Nobody cares whether you're black or trans or gay. You have the right to hear a story. Right. If somebody's not telling you a story, that theater sticks. Well, the irony of this diversity question as well seems to be that in the old Broadway and old Hollywood, it was uh, Jewish Americans, black Americans, gay Americans who all thrived in this world together. And now there seems to be this desire to distinguish. And it used to be, I imagine, more mixed. Is that your experience of working across the last 40 years? It, well, it's actually 50 plus years. But thank you for the compliment. That's all right. That, you look very um, young. It, it used to, when I first had my first theater companies in Chicago with William H. Macy and so forth, we all worked day jobs in order to put on these plays, and the audience was the community in, the, in which we lived, which is, it's always been. New York, Broadway, which you, one had to have the imprimatur of Broadway in order to become a well-known playwright, in order to be widely distributed, had a huge audience that was largely middle class, was largely Jewish, and they were people who worked in, lived in the city. They were seeing the things that reflected their experience. So the plays that were only put on that reflected their experience, they only endorsed the plays that reflected their experience. And because they had the, the experience of being recognized as saying, yeah, that's funny, they came back again. It was an ongoing audience. All those people have moved away. There's, there is no more audience in New York. So who comes? People from out of town. So the two things that they can see are either trash or filth. They can see pageants, right? Because I don't want to go to Disneyland to see a thoughtful roller coaster, right? I want to go to Disneyland for a thrill. So if New York is now Disneyland, I don't want to have to play which is thought-provoking. What the hell do I care, right? I want to have a, either a thrill or a dog treat. And the dog treat is... A diversity. Yes, please, you know, please, please don't tell me I'm a racist. I'm not a racist. I'm not a transphobe. Look where I am. I'm sitting over here, blah, blah, blah. So these people are shaking the audience down. How do the critics fit into this? How do reviews kind of feed into this economy? Because, of course, if a reviewer makes a judgment about a play that's like, a, as you say, handing down a moral didacticism, and they decide they don't like it, it then casts a moral stain on them. So there is a bit of a knock-on effect. Do you see Do you see that in the world of criticism now? Of course, because people aren't going, listen, the, the, the press, the national press, and as far as culture, is completely co-opted. It's, it's Pravda. It's absolutely Pravda. No one's going to put on a play that's not going to be approved by the press, and the press is there to approve the play, right? They're, they're, what they're doing is the equivalent of the Stalinist plays Me and My Tractor. So one doesn't have to worry about criticism because nobody's going to put on a play which is not going to get a good review. And so what happens is the people on the left, they have differences. They enjoy having differences about minor points of doctrine. Quibbling in the corner rather than kind of taking on anything. Exactly so. They like that because that makes them that makes them feel that they're intellectually independent. And somebody said to me like, oh, yeah, what about the independent voters? I said, in America, there's no such thing as an independent voter. An independent voter is a liberal with a speech defect. <laughs> and you've said that you've been on a journey yourself. We'll talk, I'm sure, more about politics from being someone who considered yourself 
more perhaps having more in common with a liberal to being someone who's now a reformed liberal, as you might say. And it's got you in some hot water. What's it been like over the last few decades being someone who's willingly vocal about politics in a world where many people, I imagine, would agree with you, many of your colleagues, but would not want to speak out? Well, the question is, it's really one of cowardice. And I've always been afraid of, of being a coward. I didn't want to be a coward. And I grew up in this, right after, I was born right after World War II, and two, two things were happening. One was in the, um, in show business, in the theater, people were ratting out their best friends in order to keep a job. Now, these were the people, I'm sure that like, you have the same, the people who you come up with, the people with whom you're poor, the people who say, sleep on my couch forever, take, we'll split our money, can I come over to you, hold your hand? Those people you come up with, you create your first art, and then to turn around and say, in order to keep my position here, I'm sorry, baby, but you got to go, right? That was, I can't imagine anything, I can't, I, I, and I said, no, I'll never, I'll never be that person. Well, I'd rather die than be that person. T'was ever thus in Hollywood, but there is a whole new suite of weapons at the hands of people who want to make sure that they are kept at the top rung. Yeah, well, that's called fascism. You know, you, you don't need to read a lot of history. This is not new in the world. It's, it's called fascism. It's called my way or the highway. And cowardice is contagious. It's absolutely contagious because we're herd creatures. So if one person starts, that's why the officers go into battle with the pistol. Right, they don't. They don't. They don't carry a, a a machine gun. They carry pistol. The pistol is to shoot the guy who wants to start a, a mutiny. So we're we're herd creatures. So if everyone is saying Jesus Christ, I, I, I X Y Z might limit my uh, ability to get ahead. I'm going to hold my tongue. We stop. We start limiting the things we can say, and then because we don't want to feel like hypocrites, we start limiting the things we think. So someone else says, wait a second, excuse me, but the building's burning. No, 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 no. Right? Wait a second, I don't understand. Why is the border open again? Why is the president of the United States leaving that border open in contravention of his, his duties? No, 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 I can't think about that. Why is it that, that women's sports, that women fought for years to establish, have just been destroyed because some guy says he's a woman. No, no, no. Because they don't have any answer. The only answer they have is indictment. Mm -hmm. Right? They can't. No one can answer any of these uh, uh, quibbles rationally. So what they can say, oh, I get it. You're a transphobe, aren't you? Oh, I get it. You're a racist. Oh, I see. You're anti-immigrant. Oh, I see. You're this, that, the next thing. So that was one thing that I grew up with. The other one was the Holocaust. Right? My grandparents came over from Eastern Europe. Everybody who stayed got killed. That whole, not only the, the Jewish people, but the Jewish culture of Europe, a thousand-year culture was destroyed. It's all gone. And I know a lot of people growing up and friends of my family who had the tattoo on their arm. And we looked at that great, I look at that great horror and said, how did that start? How did that start? Because people didn't, you know, they didn't they didn't say, wait a second, that's enough. Because when the first Nazi came to the door and said, excuse me, are you Jewish? Somebody didn't shoot him in the head, right? Because the question is not whether or not you're going to win in any fight. The question is whether you're going to surrender 
because you're frightened of you're, you're frightened of what they might do to you. Fascists and swine like to pick on victims, right? They don't want a fair fight. Of course they don't, right? They, they they're powerful because they aren't individuals. They're only powerful as members of a group, and as the group, they're going to pick on individuals. But just as cowardice is contagious, uh, courage is contagious. It may be, may be less contagious, I don't know. But nonetheless, when we see people being courageous, we say, oh, I get it. Maybe I can do that too. It does seem to be less contagious in Hollywood as a particular Petri dish that we're talking about here. I mean, do you have colleagues or friends in, in Los Angeles who will come to you and say, I really agree with you on this stuff, but I, I can't possibly talk about it? Or is it stony cold silence? No, of course. The thing is, relationships are broken off in Hollywood by people lose your number. They just go away. Your manager, your agent, your pet, blah, blah, blah. They just go away. That's unfortunate. Hollywood is dead. They did a, a movie called Sound of Freedom. Did you see it? That was the right-wing movie, which everyone was going so hysterical about for a while. The question is, why is it a right-wing movie? Hence the, Can you the the quote marks. I suppose because it was a Christian-funded movie, one that had, you could call it, family values at the heart. I don't really know beyond that what their reasoning was for giving it that label exactly. So here's the thing, you know, ancient wisdom is look at what your adversary is trying to frighten you with. That's what he fears. So why is this a right-wing movie? It's a right-out-of-the-box, really good, traditional, they've stolen... I'm a cop and they've stolen this kid. I need to get him back. There's nothing right wing about it, except that the, Christ, the, the, the Christian people put up the money for it. God bless them. I just met with the guy who produced it maybe yesterday. It cost $20 million to make it, made half a billion dollars. Half a billion dollars. Because A, it's a good movie, and because the Christians and the conservatives are sick to death of people saying, eat this garbage or else. The important thing for me is the the signal thing is that someone has to call it a right wing movie. What the hell does that mean? Like I got a friend who's a stunt coordinator, right? A very very important a position in the movies, right? You have to work real hard. Started as a stunt man, stunt woman, blah. He's a stunt coordinator, and he's black. And someone said, you know, it's really great to see a black stunt coordinator. And he said, what's a black stunt? <laughs> If right? you fall off so a building in a certain way, I guess. So any 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 uh, outlet that says, oh, it's a right-wing movie, hmm. what is it that they don't like? They don't like individuality. They don't like Christians. I think that probably on the part of the tabloid or the mainstream press underestimates the audience. They tend to be slightly more discerning than given credit for. Critics have always been a bunch of brainless whores. That's what they are. And in the old days, they were... Um, what, what did they get out of it? People used to say, what do you need to be a theater critic? A lack of sufficient talent to write about sports, right? So this was the this was the bottom of the bottom of the rung. So one of the two things that they got to do was ruin a play. And they liked it, right? It's great. You know, there they are. They were a terrible job. They all hated the theater. They had to go every night looking at garbage. One of the things that they got to do was ruin a play. Now there was, now there was important as the playwright. They're more powerful than the playwright. The other thing they got to do was be bribed. Whether they were bribed with money, of course some of them were, or whether they were bribed with, oh, please come and talk to our group. 
we're going up to the Adirondacks, and we'd like you to talk about blah, 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 and have sex with some of the young people. And they used to do that in the movies, too. They used to take all the critics and say, well, we're going to the Venice Film Festival. We'd like you 10 people to come. We're having a private plane. We're going to put you over to Cipriati. Everything's on the house. You see anything in the gift store you like, a gold Rolex, please, blah, blah, blah. They were, right? It's, it's, it's a phony baloney business, right? The movies have always been about putting images up on a bed sheet and selling popcorn, right? The whole idea that there's any phobity or sagacity in the movies is nonsense. There were a few, there were a few magnificent works of art made in a hundred years and a whole bunch of really good movies and a lot of crap. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It did strike me as a, as a strange irony that the creative industry has chosen the movies, which is such a famously seedy business, to become the new kind of place to morally arbitrate or to give sermons, because it's a strange pulpit from which to give a sermon. <laughs> they, can't, they can't tell a story, uh, because they, who, who, who are these people who come out of film school? You know what film school is? It's warehousing. You learn nothing in film school. You don't know any old thing about it. Make them. The only thing that it, it fits you to do is to be uh, an executive, right? Which is to say somebody who doesn't know anything, hoping, rather than to make a good movie, to get the job that that other executive has. Because that's what bureaucrats do. So you say they want to influence the audience to not go to see that movie. But it's actually stupider than that. Because the audience that they're trying to influence is not reading that paper. No. They would what? No, they cr- Christian nationalists CNN, are not right? watching CNN. No, they aren't looking at that. 
So who to whom are they speaking? So that the people who put a half a billion dollars in the pockets of these things haven't looked at the left left wing rabid uh, suborned press in the in a decade. So what are these critics trying to do? They're trying to like any you know they're trying to make place for themselves in some organis- organization that's dead and crumbling. So what happens when it's dead and crumbling? The Titanic is sinking. Everyone's crawling all over each other to get up to the highest point. So that's what those people are doing. You know, to hell with them. As we used to say, who'd they ever fight? What comes next then for Hollywood? Is it that independent movies like the one you're talking about, people who are more like you and your friends in the early days, putting collective money together and just putting things on, is that what we're looking at? Yes, absolutely. Hollywood is just dead. Right. The, anyone who, the people who go to see those movies are like the people who go to see the house of Bernardo Alba. Right. And so the, it's they say I loved it faute de mieux. Right. It was the best thing on rather than, gee, man, I had the time of my life. So people t- talk about all these screeners that we get. Or, right. This, this, yes, it's a really great movie. It's a really great uh, da da da. I really enjoy the thing. The visuals are great. Right. The visuals are great. Right. So what is what do these things mean? I mean, they had a rotten time. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's when you say after you've seen your friends play and it's absolutely terrible and you have to say the lighting was was wonderful. That's, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> so tell you know. me then a bit about this diversity drive that you've been speaking about, because it's really interesting how it's changed the the actual product, the movies that come out at the end of it. Do you think diversity is a virtue in the world of movie making? Who cares? Nobody cares about diversity. All of these people, listen, I live in the heart of Hollywood over here, go to these friendly restaurants. All these diversity junkies, their idea of diversity is somebody who has 11% body fat. You know, their idea of diversity is, is somebody who drives an American car. It's nonsense. Diversity is racism, period. Now, all of these um, anti-Semites are on campus screaming for death to the Jews, death to the Jews. And they took the presidents of the three, of three major universities and asked them, is death to the Jews hate speech? And they all said it depends on the context. What? If that's not hate speech, what's hate speech? What that means is Jews aren't human beings. Let's talk about being an American Jew then, because that's something you've written about for us and something I really find fascinating. Do you feel differently as an American Jewish person now than you did a few months ago in terms of how much you fit into American society? We've always been outsiders wherever we went Jews for for 2,000 years since the fall of the Second Temple because we didn't have a home, right? We were second-class citizens. We always existed at the mercy of of the cult, the country. We were demi, as you know, as uh, the, the the Muslims say, we're not we weren't um, citizens. So our answer was always to work harder, not only to work harder, because there was so so many things we weren't allowed to do. All the professions were denied to us. And a, we had to work harder, and B, we had to figure out another to do the thing that nobody wanted, because that was the only thing that was left to us. A, a good example is. Uh, uh, 
arbitrage. A good example is uh, family law. And a good example is the movies, right? These are a bunch of Jews, as I said, renting chairs and putting up a bedsheet and showing this little thing who came out here and, and did. So the Jews have always been, uh, been outsiders. What always happens going back to uh, the fall of Jerusalem is that when things get tough, people turn on the Jews because we're the outsider. It's the, it's the equivalent of kicking the cat or screaming at the secretary. So Hollywood, it's become so corporatized. So uh, the, the bureaucratic mind is all about um, fitting in and rising inside the bureaucracy. And any sort of, of product is completely secondary. So now the way you rise within the bureaucracy, oh, well, so wait a second, I get it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let, let, let's support. Um, let's let, let's support kill. Let's support kill the Jews. The New York Times has been owned by Jews since day one, right? The New Yorker has been run by Jews since day. All of these people are saying, well, you know, we need a more balanced view. Maybe just kill some of the Jews. So somebody's got to speak up. Do you feel at odds with secular Jews in America, though? Is it important now for Jewish Americans to reaffirm their relationship to the religion, not just to the culture? Well, I don't know that there is any culture anymore. I don't see it, the Jewish culture anymore. And people got into the habit of going to the temple the same way they went to the dentist. A painful experience better gotten over quick. Exactly so. So uh, how many temples have I I've gone through a lot of temples, you know? And you might say, yes, that was a good rabbi, yes, blah, blah, blah. But Jesus Christ, go to a go to an evangelical church or go to a black Baptist church, and those people are praying to God ecstatically and with their whole hearts. So then you go back to these assimilated uh, 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 Jewish synagogues, and these people, it's like taking a bath with your socks on and no water, right? That got so effing woke, right? We don't we don't need some rabbi to tell us to be kind to people, right? Or to be kind to black people. And we certainly don't need some rabbi to tell us, uh, oh, don't, thank God that we had a, a, a greater birth rate of black people than white people. Yes. My kid go, went to a public school here, and the, the teacher was talking about racism, and systemic racism. And he's like 11 years old. He says, what, what is systemic racism? Teacher says, you're, ser you're serious. He says, yeah, what is it? Well, tell me, give me an example of it. He says, as far as I can see, there's no job, no position in which a black man or woman is not preferred over a white man or woman in the United States right now. So wh where's the systemic racism? The guy says, well, you should be ashamed of yourself because you're white. And you should be doubly ashamed of yourself because you're Jewish and because of what you people suffered. What? It's like the double whammy of being called a racist and a race traitor all in, in one go. It's um, everything all at once. It's great. It's one-stop shopping. It's great. Let's talk about Trump then, because he seems to capture the id of this feeling that you're describing. Do you think Trump is a character that is picking up the energy that you're talking about there? Well, the other thing is Trump gets said Trump was the best president since Abraham Lincoln. How can I say that? A, I can say that because we have a constitution that allows me to say it. And B, because I got my eyes open, right? He brought peace to the Middle East. He closed the border. He 
put the he made us an energy exporter. He had the best uh, rating among African Americans of any president ever. He went into the black communities and said, "What do you got to lose? Let's get serious." And the country was was at peace and prosperous in the world. All of a sudden, he gets kicked out, and the world is a mess. But but because the liberals cannot defend their position, their, their positions are indefensible. All they can do is indict Trump. He's not he's not generating anger. He's talking reason. The love of God, you know. He says, "Wouldn't you like the government to, to stop wasting your money on garbage? Wouldn't you like there to be? Wouldn't you like to stop the the flow of sex trafficking and, and fenfen over the southern border? Wouldn't Wouldn't you like there to be yet again peace in the Middle East? What in the world were we doing getting out of Afghanistan and leaving a trillion dollars worth of armaments there? Why in the world are we giving money to Iran?" which is minting money that they're spending on supposedly not making nuclear reactors, but then not enforcing the sanctions. He says, dude, he says, am I crazy or does this not, is this insane? And so that's what the people responded to. It wasn't, yeah, 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 white anger, white rage. It's nonsense. White anger and white rage and anti-Trumpism is the only answer that the left has to the fact that everything they've touched, they've ruined. In Iowa, just yesterday, Trump had this massive landslide victory. It looks like he's on a very good course towards the election this year. Would you vote for him when it comes around? Of course I would. Listen, people say, oh, his character this, his character. Listen, you got a big mouth. So do I. Right? <laughs> the question is, who do you like in a fair fight with your back to the wall? Who would you rather have, Joe Biden, who's a senile old bag man, or Donald Trump, who's a scrapper and loves his country? He's also a gag man. He's a gag man. You said earlier that you grew up as a storyteller and, and someone who told jokes. I would say that might be Trump's greatest virtue, is his ability to tell tell jokes. He is He is a real gag guy. And I think people are quite relieved by that after seeing years and years of incoherent politicians unable to string a sentence together, to see someone who can tell a joke over the course of three lines, which is, I would say, his his primary communicative skill. Well, his primary communitary skill, communicatory skill, is that he's telling the truth. He says, look, here's what I promise. Oh, look, I did it. Here's what I promise. Oh, look, I did it. So that's the guy where you're going to go to to say, if he promises something again, I'm going to bet he does it. What are the, what are, what are the, um, what are the Democrats promise? They'll promise whatever the hell will keep them in office. They're going to say they're going to be able to turn water into wine. They're going to be able to turn sunlight into gasoline. They're going to be able to open the borders and fly people all around the world. And this is going to be somehow beneficial. It's the party of death. What do you say to those New York Times type writers who might be hand-wringing about the potential for civil unrest should Trump win in 24? Well, that's that's great. That's, call, that's called a, a threat. That's called a threat. What, is, what does that mean? Who, civil arrest by whom? I suppose the people who, the first time around, were so jubilant when Trump lost. Okay, so listen, write it on a sheet of paper. What that phrase means is if he wins, we liberals are going to go out and kill people. That's what it means. What else could it mean? He better not win or we're going to go out and kill people. That's, that's what, that's what the, the right 
the conservatives who want to conserve the country have coalesced around. They say, wait a second, we used to have a constitutional democracy, right? We abided by the, the laws. Trump abided by the laws. The Democrats have been breaking the laws. Now you tell me that if he gets elected, you're going to go out and kill people and you're going to call it, oh, the potential for civil unrest. Let's use, let's, let's, let's use the English language, shall we? Let's have an election, for God's sake. Let's have an election. Are people mad? Of course they're mad, right? Listen, wouldn't you get mad if you were, the, if you were a Jew and Harvard University professor, the head of Harvard University professor was asked, is kill the Jews hate speech? And she said, it depends on context. Wouldn't you be mad if you lived on the southern border and there were uh, millions of fit young men from countries that have nothing to do with Central America coming across the border and your government said you can't stop them. Wouldn't you be mad if there was a crime waves throughout the United States and uh, child trafficking? And wouldn't you be mad? Wouldn't you be mad if you sent your kid to school and the teacher was talking to a kid, to, to third graders and saying you may be the wrong sex? And the governments and people went to a school board meeting and they were angry. And then Biden administration said, oh, you know what they are? They're domestic terrorists. What's wrong with being mad? There's a difference between being angry and being violent. Do you think that anger will mean that Trump is elected? Is he going to be the president in 24? Yes, of course he is. And what do you think the world's going to look like after four more years of Donald Trump? It's going to look much, much better. But we're going to, it's going to have to get worse before it gets a little bit better because this you know, the Biden-Obama uh, administration has put the world in the West in a terrible place. And it's all about diversity and racism. And it means white people are bad. Capitalism is bad. Well, they're all getting rich anyway, but the capitalism's bad for everybody else. Police are bad, so the, their cities are falling apart. Who is that hurting? It's hurting the black Americans. Right down the line, the Jews are bad. So there's anguish in the Middle East. And as Douglas Murray said, if Trump had stood, stayed and been the president, if, they, if Hamas had not been voted in, Gaza would be the richest city in the world. It would be Singapore, right? What are the Jews doing to Gaza? Nothing. They said, take it. P.S. If you need medical help, come across the border. P.S. If you guys are gay, it's not just Gaza, it's throughout the Middle East. Go to Tel Aviv. We're, we'll welcome you. We aren't going to kill you. Glad, glad to have your business. Gaza is at the end of the Mediterranean, and it's right off the Suez Canal. It's the most valuable real estate in the world. And... Uh, they want to kill the Jews and and, and and die in a place of glory. It doesn't make sense. The Jews would be star and have always been so happy to say, for God's sake, let's be partners. If you look at the state of Israel, there's no position which you aren't going to find Druze and which you aren't going to find Arabs and Christians and Jews. We don't care. The most diverse country in the world is Israel. And they want to, and they want to kill it, right? Because it works. They can't, they can't go and argue and say, wait a second, what about this, what about that? The answer is the river to the sea. You all have to die. That's exactly the same answer as poli uh, uh, political civil unrest. Oh, if you elect this guy, you're going to have civil unrest. Do you believe in banning speech? Do you think that 
from the river to the sea should be banned on campuses? I'm just interested to know as someone who's spoken so much about freedom of speech. Listen, I don't think anything, I don't think speech should be banned. You know what it is? The only unprotected speech in the American Constitution. You can't call for the violent overthrow of the United States government. Everything other than that, it's your right to speak and it's my right to make up my mind about what you say. It's not the right of some third person so you can't say this, you can't say that. So I don't listen. The question is, who gets to say what's hate speech? That's where the power is. Those people are called homicides. It's like the t most terrible thing in the world was the idea that there were certain crimes which are hate crimes, right? So the question is not what did the person do, but what do we think about their motives in uh, uh, in regard to certain societal norms which we have today? There's no such thing as a love crime. All crimes are hate crimes, right? There's a special thing of protected people that gives too much power to the government. The whole conservatism comes down to this. We got a constitution. You stay on your side of the fence. I'll stay on my side of the fence. Let's obey the laws. It's going to be difficult, but obeying the laws is more difficult. Is more is is more noble. And it's the best it's the best thing that I can do for you is to obey the laws. The best thing you can do for me is to obey the laws. We got our differences. Okay. I'm not gonna give some third party the right to decide who gets to say what to who because of the color of their skin, because politicians are all a bunch of swine. There's a couple of exceptions, right? But we know what they are. You know, if they tell you black is white and swear on their deathbed if you gave them a five pound note. Like, who do we think goes into politics? You ever have lunch with a politician? Have you? Too many for my liking. Exactly so. You know, it's not fun, is it? No, no. It's the least fun thing you could possibly do. The truth is not in them. No, or at least their truth is. It's the idea of my truth. You can have your truth and I can have my truth. There is no the truth. That seems to have gone out of fashion. Yes, it's also absurd and it's blasphemy. Something is either true or it's not. The idea of you have your truth and my my truth is savagery. Before I let you go, I just wanted to ask what you think is going to happen to other exiles of this culture war, because they're stacking up now. We've got figures like Woody Allen, your colleague and friend Shia LaBeouf, who you were mentioning earlier, who have found their careers end in a locked door, um, in the mainstream at the least, um, because of their part in this melee, this cultural melee that we've seen over the last 10 years. Do you think those people will be brought back and given a second chance? Or is that, are those people going to be eternal victims of this moment, even if the world moves on and decides to revoke some of these positions? Well, listen, there's no one who's immune from a false accusation. That's why we have courts, so that things can be adjudicated in the courts rather than in the press, right? Things used to be adjudicated in the community because we know each other, but the community is now vastly, vastly split up. Western culture is completely bifurcated. What's happening now is that the conservative side has said, wait a second, what's wrong with the Judeo-Christian ethic? What's wrong with the laws? What's wrong with judging people? Listen, we just helped celebrate Martin Luther King Day. He said he had a dream that people would be judged by the content of their character rather than the color of their skin. That was his dream. That dream came true to the largest extent. And then the, the wokest came in and said, no, no, no. We must judge people by the color of their skin. The conservatives said, no, you know what? I'd rather vote with Dr. King. 
The conservatives are done with the left. We aren't looking for anything from the left because there's nothing there. Will there be a conservative art movement and then the existing art movement will just become the leftist art movement then? Is that what you'll see, that bifurcation? Well, I don't know about art movement. I'm not quite sure what they are. But as far as entertainment goes, it's already happened. What's happened with the success of The Sound of Freedom and all of these movies is that the technology has aged itself out. The technology, all of the, the places where I, where I live around here, they used to be the back lots of studios. The studios had back lots where they had a standing cowboy set, a standing office set, a standing New York street set. They made movies on those lots. All those lots now are parking lots for bureaucrats who do nothing. You know what you need to, to make a movie? You need, you need a camera. Here's one right here. That'll make as good a movie as, as David Lean could make. And you need a telephone. You say, hey, Bob, 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 cinematographer, what are you doing next month? I, okay, hey, Bob, Bob, come on, what are you doing next month? Blah, blah, blah. That's all you need to make a movie. And you need a little bit of money. The other thing that you need, which is new, is you need distribution. And it used to be that you had to go through the studios. And now you don't anymore. And I think it was largely funded by the Christian movement. So wait a second, we got all these Christians out there. If we do something good, they'll come. And they did. And people are making scads of money. And because they're making scads of money, they're making scads of movies. So the question is, you know, what do I want from the left? What do I want? Say, leave me alone. You know, I'm going to leave you alone. There's nothing, there's nothing you have in your grab bag that I want. Right? If you gave me all the fame and power and blah, blah in the world, it's, it's poison. It's it's tainted. In return for what? In, ret in return for my conscience, in return for my soul, in return for whatever God's God has, has pleased God to give me as a gift for, for making up stories. I say, thank you. I'll play these. David Mamet, thank you very much for your time. It is a pleasure talking to you. So that was David Mamet, Pulitzer Prize winning screenwriter and playwright. A fascinating conversation there with David, who in every sentence alludes to Hollywood past, present and future. He has all the wisdom of a Hollywood veteran and yet a kind of youthful rage and vigor that I see continuing for many years to come. An interesting prediction there that it will be Trump 24 and that things will get worse before they get better. Tune in to find out if that's what happens next. Thanks for watching. This was Unheard. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? 
Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.